Hello everyone and welcome back to another brand new edition of Kavam. Of course you must know by now, but if not, it's a Doctor Who podcast where we talk all about Doctor Who, Blu-rays, DVDs, special features, the physical media releases of Doctor Who. Uh, this week, of course, we've had the release of Evil of the Daleks in animated form, and we're going to be getting um, well into discussing the animation, whether, you know, how well it came out, the story, we're going to start the special features, we're going to got everything covered on that release for you all. Um, plus, of course, we've got to talk about the exciting news about RTD coming coming back, and a few of the more maligned Doctor Who stories may also get a bit of discussion later in this podcast. Um, but joining me, as always today, is Ryan and Charlie. Uh, guys, how are you getting on? I'm doing well, thank you. I definitely um now that we've got Evil of the Daleks, I think we're we're definitely all good. Isn't that right, Charlie? <laughs> yeah, I think Evil of the Daleks was definitely a nice change of pace from the Web of Fear animation. Yeah, exactly. I think it was it was after the the, the concern and disappointment of the Web of Fear, we we, we definitely went back to a, a more positive, I think, animation and more positive release to enjoy. Of course, we're gonna you know come to that in a lot more detail. Uh, apologies, I've been listening for my voice. I'm just got a bit of a cold, so you might not hear as much from me, and my voice is a little bit off. Um, but yes, a week ago, hopefully, as you're listening to this, obviously you all listened to it the day it was released. Of course you do on, on the Monday because, you know, you're all great devoted fans of the podcast. Of course you are. Um, but of course, a week ago, we got the Evil of the Daleks release um, animation being released. The story from uh, the end of season four that uh, previously had six missing episodes and only one existing out of the seven episodes. But now we've had all seven of them animated in full color or black and white, whatever you prefer um, for us to all enjoy. And well... Um, Charlie, you've had the chance to watch all seven episodes. Um, firstly, how did you decide to watch it? Did you watch the colour, the black and white with the existing episode? How did you go about doing it? And what were your kind of initial thoughts on the animation? Um, so I watched it with the colour. I usually watch it with the colour first time so I can get the sort of full experience. And, you know, as for how they went about the colour, I think it was actually, you know, really, um, really quite subtle in a way. You know, like they didn't try to be too creative with colors um and it was definitely better than say power of the dalek standard edition um but yeah i went with the color and as for the um existing episode i watched the existing episodes of episode two followed by the um, animated just to see you know just see what the animation of that episode two is like as well um and as for the animation yeah, it, it was fantastic. Like, as lots of people thought, um, it would be just as good as Faceless Ones and Macro Terror. And I, I'd i say it is as good as those, if not better. I think it was um, it was absolutely fantastic. I feel um, they did quite well considering the amount of characters and sets in this. Like, there are a lot of them, um, especially the scenes on Scaro, I think, are really, really fantastic. Um, it was a bit iffy in places. Like, there were a few things that did seem a bit strange, but... You know, with what they did, it's very impressive. They managed to do seven whole episodes. So, yeah, and it's just a genuinely really good story to back that all up. Yeah, probably my favourite animation release so far. Yeah, exactly. I, I, th- I think most fans have tended to, you know, the reception has certainly been very positive about the animation. Um, and Ryan, did you go down the same route of the colour version or did you go black and white to, to start off the viewing? I went with the black and white first uh, because I feel like, well... Considering that the 60s Doctor was made and designed to be in black and white, I decided that would probably be the best option first. And so I watched um, the black and white and I did watch the existing part two before I watched um, the animation. Again, just as kind of compared, it's kind of like how I approached the faceless ones. I watched the existing episode before the animation. So I pretty much took the same route with um, Evil of the Daleks. And then I watched the colour version afterwards and... I will admit, it's, um, I'm never usually much when it comes to the colour versions, but I will admit they did a really good job with the colour version. I think it's just as good as the black and white. Um, they're pretty much on par. And as far as the animation is concerned, it's definitely my favourite animation to date. I think they did an excellent job with it. I really wanted this to be the best one because... I love Evil of the Daleks. It's one of my favourite Dalek stories, and I really wanted to see it done justice. And I feel like they have done pretty much just about across the board, really. I feel like they did such an excellent job of capturing the sets of the the Victorian period and then as soon as the action moves to Scarrow, I feel like they did such a phenomenal job of capturing that sort of that mood, that atmosphere and the stuff in the control room with the Emperor was just so Mm. impressively well done that I'm just 
I'm just really just blown away by it. Yep, definitely the best one so far. <laughs> yeah, I, I certainly tend to agree. I think, um, I mean, I watched the, the, the colour version of it, albeit I did drop in the uh existing episode two and i didn't actually watch well i only sk- I skimmed through the animated episode two um and you know it, it it's clear that there were some you know big differences when you compared the existing episode to the animated version for episode two um you know you had i i remember the sweeping shot around the house as, as you first arrived in the victorian house like that's completely different to the existing episode where it's just a shot sort of in in that little room of the house whereas we actually get to see the whole exterior of it first which i think makes quite a big difference in enhancing your sort of um perspective on it and it was interesting for me because in the past with stories where we have a mixture of ex- of animated episodes and existing episodes i usually sort of sit through each of the animated episodes waiting for the existing one so you know like with the faces ones I, I i went you know i've had episode one we watched the existing then episode two i'm sitting for episode two just waiting to get back to a, an existing one in episode three but with this story i actually was sitting through the existing episode two just being like i just want to get back to the color animation it's, it's so great like i i genuinely was in more like engrossed in the story through the animation than i was through that singular existing episode i know it's only one out of seven so you know i kind of you get more use of the animation but even in that early part of the story i really just felt like I was able to connect with the animation that much more and it, it really felt like like I'd watched the story whereas with some animations it very much feels like I've just kind of I don't know I've watched a sort of poorer version of it that I can't really kind of buy into quite as much whereas I really felt like I've seen Doctor Who the Evil of the Daleks now it almost doesn't matter if the episodes come back or not like I've seen this story and I really you know that I've experienced it now and, and I just haven't felt that with previous animations. So I, I don't know quite what it was that, that made it that good. And the animation was definitely the best we've had of, of the range so far, I think, as you say, up there with the Macroterra and the Faces ones, probably just that little bit better. Um, and just just being able to to work with, as you said, Charlie, so many different sets from the, the airport at the beginning of the story through the, the, the trick law to the Victorian house, to Scarrow, all these different defined locations that were so, you know, there's no crossover between them at all. Um, the antique shop as well obviously and just being able to create so many of these sets was so impressive and, and then the same with the characters as well I, I really do think it was it was a triumph really for the animation range I mean uh, Charlie looking at kind of the animation itself do you think there's any kind of specific areas that that particularly enhance the story just in the, the the kind of freedom of being able to do what you like with animation do you think that helped the story in any places Definitely in episode six and seven, I think um, the scenes in Scarrow, I think definitely um, really helped capture the sense of scale and epicness, like especially the whole battle between the um, the human factor Daleks and the black Daleks, I think was just so epic. And it, I, I can imagine what it would have looked like had it been live action, but I think I still would have preferred the animated version purely because it can just it can be you know it can look like it would have had a higher budget than it did it it looks like it could have been more epic and grandiose and it just um and with the emperor dalek as well he's animated fantastically like one of the best um animated characters in all of you know the animation so far is just uh, yeah just the scenes on scarrow um you know especially when the whole city was like exploding and things it was yeah it just really enhanced the sense of scale and you know the whole you know concept of the final end of the daleks really properly felt more real yeah 100 percent. obviously this story i'm sure we'll talk a bit more about when we talk about the making of documentary but with this story was sort of intended for most of the production at least to be the final dalek story and so we get that big climactic scene on scar as you say which is just so enhanced by animation and, and as good as some of the little clips from like the model shots and things look I still don't think it would quite, just because, it, you know, it was the 1960s, they didn't have the budget to do it as well. They were using models and things. It just probably wouldn't quite live up to the the quite the, the scale and the excitement and, and just, just the chaos, really, of those finals, that final episode um, in large part. And I, and I just think that sort of establishing shot of Scaro that we get when we first arrived there, this sort of red barren, this, this red city basically, I thought was so impressively realized. And, and just, you know, it, it, 
I could picture like the original Dalek city from the Daleks and and obviously it looks a little bit different but I just you know they use that sort of similar shot from up on the cliffs I think to what we see in the Daleks which I think is such an effective way of of linking it back and really making us believe that we're on Scarra that I think is is, is is a great success for this um and so Ryan how do you think that the the animation sort of in the mid episodes of this story I feel like it it, it kind of slows down a bit I don't know maybe like when we get the stuff with with Jamie going around with um what, what's the chap's name again kemmel that's it yeah i feel like that is kind of the slow part of the story do you, do you think the animation did a good job of kind of not making that bit too slow and dull because i feel like particularly if you're watching maybe the recon of that i feel like it could really grind grind to a halt through sort of episode three and four yeah i, I yeah what listening to the audio um it did feel like it was kind of take it, i wouldn't say with the the whole test with jamie i wouldn't necessarily call it a bad secret. I mean, I'd, I mean, I would be lying if I said I flat out hate it. it. It's just a bit drags on a bit too longer than it should do. And I didn't really feel that watching the animation. I feel like watching the animation, it does keep that momentum up. It does help keep the pace um, flowing along, which I suppose it wouldn't get the sense of that if you only listened to the audio. So I feel like it did a the animation did a much better job at making that whole Jamie rescuing Victoria sequence have have a, have a good pace and a good momentum to it which perhaps was lacking in the in just the audio version yeah exactly and I, and I believe they did also you know in places and particularly I think like in the fight scene between um, Jamie and Kemmel they they cut that down a little bit from what the original version was simply to try and improve you know the pacing of it a little bit and because there's so there's because obviously Kemmel doesn't talk, there's quite long sections of just dead air where, you know, there's really very little sound. And so it's probably quite difficult to animate anything interesting to when you just haven't got that that um, that dialogue to kind of go alongside it. So I'm sure that, that was sort of a challenge as well, which, as you say, I think they did a reasonable job of being able to um, kind of cover up and, and, and help speed along. But yeah, I think that's, it's just the nature of that that scene really that it just made it a bit harder, made, just just drags along. But I feel like that's all, anything past a four-parter in Doctor Who has some padding in it at some point. And this is kind of that, that, that part of it for this for this story um then so so charlie looking at the the characters of of um evil the daleks i i feel like in general they were pretty well realized kind of you know obviously we've had the doctor and jamie before i feel like victoria was the one character who didn't quite have such a good likeness compared to maybe the doctor and jamie um and and they clearly struggled in the web of fear as well obviously a very different animation style but that i thought also was particularly you know poor um i don't know how do you feel like in general the likenesses of the characters were kind of transferred over into animated form in this story I mean, I can imagine that, let's say, for the second Doctor, he's very hard to get the likeness of because he have, you know, he does have quite a um, a distinctive appearance. You know, he, he he doesn't really look very generic, so um, it's probably quite hard to animate him. But you know, I think they've done reasonably well. Like it wasn't too far from the style of the faceless ones. Um, with Jamie, the same. It was basically the faceless one style. As for Victoria. Um, yeah, she does look a lot different to lots of her other animated counterparts, but I think they did quite a good job, really, considering how many characters they had to animate. Like, you know, you've got um, Victoria's dad, um, you've got Max Bull, you've got like three other, you know, Victorian guys in that house, mm -hmm. you've got Kemmel, you've got the Daleks, obviously, you know, there's so many to animate that I, I am willing to excuse it slightly if Victoria isn't 100% you know um if her likeness isn't 100 percent, yeah yeah totally I, yeah as you say i think it can be excusable particularly given the amount of characters in a story like this which in many ways is a very positive sign that they've been able to go about animating a story that simply does have the scale that it does and does have the amount of characters that it does given in the past they've talked about the difficulty of filming of, of animating stories with a larger cast or, or sets you know stories like the crusade or marco polo or i guess master plan as well to an extent of you know They've always said, oh, we're not so sure about those because they've got too many sets or too many characters. Well, you know, they've done a lot in this story. So I feel like it's over time we should get to a point where they're able able to do it. I think as often is the way with these sort of stories, I feel like the Daleks are probably one of the most effectively animated sort of, you know, characters of, of the animation. I feel like the, the Daleks really lend themselves to being animated 
and uh, clearly you know people like rob Ritchie, who's been doing these these dalek animations for like 10 years um, and working in all of the animations more recently they they really know how to do them really really well so ryan do you think that like the actual daleks themselves and you know we had the sort of the fun you know the the the, the different daleks as well the playing the sort of childlike daleks we get as well which is a really fun part of the story do you think that they were all you know particular strengths when we look at the animated side of this story absolutely it really just as good if not slightly better than the animation from the special edition of power of the daleks it feels like it's definitely on that level they got the movements of the of these particular daleks just right and especially i was very curious to know how they were going to animate the human factor daleks how they would sort of show their sort of childlike quality to them and i feel like they did a really good job of capturing that and as Charlie mentioned, the, the Emperor Dalek, especially, I thought was definitely the most impressive of in terms of all the Daleks animated, because I was very curious to know how they were going to do the Emperor, considering he's the, the main Dalek in, in this entire story. And I feel like they did such an excellent job of handling that. Yeah, and I, I read a really good um, story. I can't remember who. I think I saw it on Twitter or something. But that essentially, the the obviously there's the creative decision in the animation of having the kind of uh, leader Daleks of the different sort of groups who are all sort of you know positioned in front of the Emperor Dalek there as a sort of I don't know defense or, or I don't know quite what. Um, and someone was you know comparing that to passing the ways where there's a very similar they're floating obviously around the Emperor, but you've got that similar nature of the Daleks floating around the Emperor and that wasn't in the original script of Leave the Daleks. So it's like the the inspiration for going back to the animated version of the original story is from the newer version of a, of a story featuring, featuring the Dalek Emperor, which I thought was a really just fun way that it's kind of like Doctor Who influencing itself um, to kind of come back to the past and, and create something from the future to, to affect a past story. I think it's really, really fun. Um, just, just something I sort of noted there. And funny enough, I think with the Emperor, I think the big Finnish audio dramas have sort of confirmed that the Emperor Dalek from this story is the same one from Parting of the Ways. Okay. Yeah. Apparently, even though the Emperor got destroyed, somehow this time strategist Dalek went back and sort of messed around with the multiverse and brought the Emperor Dalek, that specific Emperor, back and had that be the leader of the Daleks during the time war, which I think was a nice concept that it's still that emperor but just more powerful and more elevated yeah I, I like to think the same one what what big finish story was that that it came from do you know i think it was the paul mcgann time war volume four i uh... think the story that they create this clone copy of davros these faction of daleks to kind okay. of keep the daleks going along since they lost the original davros during the time yeah. war well supposedly I mean, <laughs> <still> <laughs> enough, and then he just turns off again yes and the time strategist didn't like that. And so it went back and hmm. sort of create, found the original emperor from these different multiverses and sort of brought him back and made him more powerful. Okay. Okay. I see. And that's how we ended up with the, with the Dalek emperor um, returning for passing the ways, obviously. And I think it's really great that, you know, you have that, that picture of that link between the characters, you know, 40 years apart from when the actual stories themselves had, I think that's really, you know, a great way to go about doing it. Um, and it's just nice to see the influences of the future affecting the past again in a way as well. Um, so as a story, let's talk about either Dalek as a story for a second here, because I feel like in general, it's a very highly regarded story. Obviously, we've addressed how the middle part isn't, you know, quite as good as maybe the, the start and the end of the story. Um, but but Charlie, what's your kind of, I don't think you'd seen this story particularly, well, I know we, none of us have seen it before, but you hadn't really particularly consumed this story before. Um, so what was your take on the actual story itself after watching this animation? It's pretty fantastic, really. Um, I mean, I can't really dispute um, it is one of the best Doctor Who stories ever, well, definitely one of the best Dalek stories ever. I'd say it's only beaten by Genesis, and that's like a maybe, you know, Genesis mm. and Remembrance possibly as well. Um, it's it's definitely among the top three Dalek stories. I, um, I've actually got a ranking of all of the classic stories I've seen so far on my phone. Uh -huh. I'm looking at where I added it sixth place so yeah and i've seen about 110 so that's pretty good nice. um yeah it, it does drag in the middle and that's why it's not any higher because it, yes. it genuinely would be like top three had it not been for that slightly slower bit in yeah. the middle from like parts four to 
in the middle of part five, it, it does drag a bit there. Although I do enjoy Kemmel as a character, considering he has no lines, pretty much. Mm. You know, it's mm. yeah, it's quite good. Um, and yeah, absolutely. Like the, the two episodes on Scaro are like some of the best individual episodes of Doctor Who ever made. They're just they're really fantastic. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I think that um, I, I was almost kind of because I I couldn't remember exactly when we got to Scarrow, and I was kind of just hoping that we'd get there a bit earlier than the last two episodes of the story. Because I feel like as great as it is, all the stuff in the Victorian house, I feel like when you know you're going to get to Scarrow towards the end of the story, you kind of just want to get there because you've got loads of Daleks, you've got this alien planet. It's just a really really exciting you know aspect of the story. Um, but um, Charlie, I think the the the, the question the listeners are all asking right now is what is number one hundred and ten on your list of stories? um time lash i've very recently seen it yeah it's not good <laughs> and i believe that's something we're going might, might be discussing a little bit later in the podcast so um stick around if you want to hear a bit more of charlie's thoughts on not a classic um but ryan the story um of evil of the daleks that certainly is a classic as, as charlie has said and certainly i agree that, that i think it's a really really strong one i think the the, the fundamental idea of, of the daleks kind of looking looking to basically well seemingly looking for the to the humans for an idea of how to make themselves even better and then obviously you know pulling the twist towards the end of the story as well i think that's just a great idea and something really unusual a bit unique that they actually did with the dalek because with with the daleks as characters because i feel like it's so with more and more dalek stories getting written it becomes harder and harder to actually write an original story about the daleks that's actually not just you know daleks invading this planet or whatever and having an actual angle that's interesting on it I felt like Evil really kind of hit that mark. Did you Did you kind of see the same in that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Evil of the Daleks is a really good companion piece to Power of the Daleks because mm. both of these stories do different things with the Daleks because with Power, you see the Daleks at their most manipulative, pretending to be these servants just so that they could find a way of rebuilding themselves and duplicate themselves. And then, and then with Evil of the Daleks, you see like them trying to find new ways of adapting as it seems by trying to look for the human factor but then of course they pull that twist towards the end it's really to show how more important the dalek factor is and then also introducing the emperor for the first time so it's like these two stories have done interesting new things with the daleks and which is probably why i think they're definitely some of the up there with Dalek Invasion of Earth and Dalek Master Plan is the best Dalek stories of the 60s because they're just so unique. And Evil of the Daleks does feel, if this had been the last Dalek story, I mean, I'm grateful that we've got all the Dalek stories since then, you know, with Genesis of the Daleks, Revelation, and some of the stuff with Modern Doc 2. But if this had been the, the Daleks' last story, it would have, I think it would have been a nice, a good story to go out on because... Obviously, the first Dalek story is set on Scarrow, and this is a good bookend. It ends on Scarrow, the last one. So I feel like it's got a nice... Um, it feels like a good bookend to these to this Dalek saga throughout the 60s. And, yeah, I just think it's a really damn good, solid Dalek story. And in terms of ranking it among the Patrick Troughton stories, it's probably my fourth or fifth favourite Troughton story out of his entire run. Yeah, I mean, I think it's certainly right up there for me as well. I, uh, I I would probably put the War Games and the Invasion ahead of it. But apart from that, I, I can't think of many more. Poss- I, I, can, I still, even watching this animation, I still can't decide whether I prefer Power of the Daleks or Evil of the Daleks. I feel like they're both just brilliant stories. Um, with, as you say, Ryan, so many just actually unique ideas um to be done with the daleks which both you know we get both of them them in the separate storage i think is really what was rates them so highly um so i don't think i'm ever gonna be able to make that decision i will one day when i have to do a ranking of dalek stories or something then i'll decide which one is higher but i'm gonna put them on an even keel at like number three of the trouton era i think it's probably the best way to put it um but yeah overall guys where do you think this animated you know, and the animation of this story is the best we've seen so far from the animation range, you know, all the way back to 2006. We did a podcast in a few a couple of months ago discussing all of them. Um, do you think this has topped the lot or do you still think that, say, Macroterra or the Faces one still slightly tops it? I don't know. Charlie, where's, where, where's, where's it sitting for you? If I'm being honest, I don't know whether this is better than Macro Terror or just on the same level, because I do think Macro Terror was absolutely fantastic. I feel like it replicated 3D animation um, in such a way that 
this you know evil of the daleks didn't do whereas i do think evil of the daleks um, handle color better um and it's you know generally looks a bit better because of a higher budget so if i'm being honest um kind of like you were saying with um you know ranking all the dalek stories i'll just put them on the same level for now but if i have to do an animation ranking i'll do a rewatch <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and actually you mentioned there charlie ha- the color in this story like i i kind of agreed with with you that i think the color whereas in some of the animations the color i don't think is quite fitted that well of clearly the power of the dark the original power of the daleks was the most obvious one but then that was never meant to be color anyway um but more recently i, I feel like it worked it's worked with some i feel like the macro terror it worked really effectively but with the faces ones i feel like the black and white version it, it lent slightly more towards maybe that's just because there was existing episodes of it um but i felt like the color version really just fit the 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 nature of the story fit the atmosphere of the story and you know particularly the stuff on scar as well that kind of dark blue sort of hue that was kind of across all pretty much all the scenes on scar just it, it just felt you know there was a real ominous feeling of the fact we're on this kind of dark planet this this evil planet really where with where, where the Zalix are and just using that that sort of color grading i felt was really really effective and actually enhanced the story over maybe a black and white version of it i don't know where, where did you kind of think that black and white versus color how how it sort of sat there uh, definitely i would probably prefer the color like i said i haven't actually seen the black and white version of the story yet i mean i have seen the existing episode 2 in the past um and i have seen it you know, when I did the rewatch. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think I prefer colour for that episode, at least. And like you said, I can imagine the dark bluish hues do um, lend themselves better to, you know, the this story rather than black and white. And much like with the animation, it allows them to do things like create this further sense that Scarrow is this very dark planet and you really feel like you are on the, you know, the dalek planet um i was going to say planet of the daleks but that's you know spiridon um and oh, like yes. you're saying about color i um i do think that um if there's one thing if there's one good thing about web of fear uh, I, I do think web of fear special edition actually handle color somewhat okay yeah that's very true actually i think you know the color saved the saved the animation to it well didn't save it it still wasn't very good but it made it slightly less worse than um the the black and white version maybe i don't know ryan what was your perspective on the the black and white and the color i know you watched the black and white one first do you feel like that's the best way to view this story or do you feel like the color can also add something to it i don't know to be honest because uh, with the, when it comes to 60s doctor who i always go for the black and white because that is kind of 60s doctor who for me is that because black and white does give a lot of mood and atmosphere to those sort of stories but in the case of this particular animation i think somehow they managed to make the color version just as good as the black and white version so Mm. in a way they're both really on par because even in the color as charlie mentioned they do manage to capture that mood, that atmosphere, especially when it's on Scarrow with the dark blues and the dark shadows, um, they, they somehow, even in colour, they managed to still keep that atmosphere, which I was worried that it was going to lose with the colour, but somehow they managed, they didn't lose that. So, yeah, they were, they're definitely more on par for me. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I in the past, have tended to go for the black and white one. I think... I watched the color version of Macro Terror, but I definitely watched the black and white um, faces ones, and I felt like that was the right version for that animation. Um, but then watching this, it just it just felt like the color version really just helped me to enter into the story that bit more that maybe the black and white wouldn't have done. Um, I mean, I'm sure at some point I will watch the the black and white version. I feel like maybe when I do an actual marathon through that period, I'm more likely to watch the black and white one just to fit in with the era rather than watching it as its sort of one-off own thing where I feel like the color version is more um maybe more maybe more engaging i don't know i don't know i think it's what well, it depends what mood you're in doesn't it really um nothing much more than that but ryan overall what's your perspective on both the story and and the animation do you think this has been a, a great success of a release absolutely as i've always sung evil of the daleks praises in the past and i still think it's a, a phenomenal story as far as the animation goes it i actually think it's the best animation so far i mean Macro Terror and the Faceless Ones come a very close second, but somehow this has managed to top all of them just because of how much they've improved the animation. I mean, this is the same, I think this is the same animation studio that have done both versions of Power of the Daleks, Sharda, Macro Terror, and Faceless Ones. And you can just see the, clearly see that it was all sort of building up 
to this. Like this was going to be their, it feels like they were building up to this being their crowning achievement. And it certainly was their crowning achievement. I feel like they just did the animation better. The likenesses are better. Well, for the most part, I mean, I know <laughs> Victoria's kind of, eh, but at least I, I think she looked better than she did in the animation for the web of fear. I definitely think she looked more like Victoria yeah, in the did that one and so I just feel like they just nailed it across the board as far as Evil of the Daleks is concerned so for that and considering they did that for one of my favourite stories I think that for me um, makes it um, my personal favourite animation out of the lot yeah I mean I, I think I would tend to agree I think I would probably put this as the the best of the range so far I, I, I can't think of any that I'd really say are better than it um, and it gives me real optimism for the animation range of the future of course we know Galaxy 4 is coming in um, November and we can reasonably be confident that Abominable Snowmen will be coming at some point as well uh, clearly the next obvious candidate would be let's do Dalek Master Plan and get that one done and out of the way um, you know give them two years let's start now and they might be done with it by the 60th anniversary um, and they can have a two have a two part release for Dalek Master Plan and the 60th anniversary year surely that sounds a great idea um, I don't know we'll, we'll that's what I want, but you know the BBC probably won't do it. They'll probably give us the Space Pirates first, won't they? Um, or <laughs> or the Highlanders or something like that. I don't know. We'll we'll have to wait. I mean, they're giving us Galaxy Four, so clearly they're not scared of doing the not so good Doctor Who stories. Um, I would definitely have the Highlanders any day over Space Pirates. Just anything but yeah. Space Pirates, please. Well, in, indeed, indeed. And you know, clearly now, you know, two this time next week we'll be discussing how the Space Pirates is getting animated in you know march next year or something now you've said this so um anyway we, we shall see of course um of course also on this release was um very special features not that many but there are a few new things in there um i know charlie uh, actually which one of you was it who'd listened to the uh audiobook the nice nice two audiobook was it charlie you listened to the audiobook so yeah. how you know did you did you listen to that before or after the animation i should probably clarify first um i listened to it after the animation Okay, so did how, how did that kind of did did that change your perspective on the story? Listening to you know an audio only version narrated by Tom Baker um, from the nineties, did that kind of give a different perspective on the story, or, or did and which one did you feel like you enjoyed more? Um, well, it, it's very hard to compare because you know they're two completely different things. It's you know an audio version of a story narrated by Tom Baker, and then there's an actual story with visuals. So it's quite hard to compare them. Uh, but Tom Baker, you know he. He has a fantastic voice as an actor, you know, um, he's sort of the, I've heard him been described as the, like the British Morgan Freeman or someone, um, which is very yeah. much true. You know, he, he's a fantastic narrator, so he does mm -hmm. add lots to it, especially with the voices. It, it's really quite good. Um, and um, sorry, I sort of lost my train of thought for a second. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it does. Um, you know, I can imagine it um, very well, even as Tom Baker's narrating it. And it, it just gives it that nice little bit of charm as well, because it's Tom Baker, who was mm -hmm. obviously a future doctor. You know, lots of his character was inspired by Patrick Troughton. So it's quite interesting hearing him voice Patrick Troughton's second doctor. Um, but yeah, as, it, as I was saying, it was, it's very hard to compare the two because they're so, they're so really similar. Mm -hmm. yeah well exactly. and, sorry they're they're similar things but in different sort of media yeah it's it's a very different you know uh, an audiobook versus animation is, is just fundamentally very different and so it's very hard to be able to, to kind of give that impression but did you enjoy the the audiobook oh yeah it's great yeah i mean you know if, if tom baker's doing it it's, it's probably going to be pretty good isn't it his narration's always going to add something um and so ryan the the other kind of well the big the main documentary of this was a, a you know a fairly classic making of documentary for the called the Dalek Factor, a fairly straightforward name I guess it makes sense given the the story. Um, and I was watching this and I kind of felt like I imagine that if the DVD range had started fifteen years later, that most of the make the kind of standard making of documentaries on the DVD range would kind of be something like this, where it's a kind of talking heads documentary, but they've gone to a location and got a Dalek. That's that's kind of basic. It's a fairly straightforward documentary in many ways. It's your classic. Let's just tell you how they made the story um, with some of the people who are still alive. Um, and let's go to a location because we've got an available. And I just felt like, you know, it's, it was there's nothing wrong with it. It's really interesting. There was lots of good anecdotes in it and everything. But it just, I just felt like this is what most of the ones would be like if they'd filmed it 15 years later, rather than it just being some narrator in a studio and a load of, you know, um, actors and a load of crew sitting in a studio as well. Um, I feel like that getting on location helps it, but also it was just fairly a straightforward um, documentary. I don't know, what was your perspective? Did you feel like you learned anything new from it as well, Ryan? 
Um, I pretty much enjoyed um, this documentary just as much as I enjoyed the documentary from The Web of Fear. Um, I mean, that documentary of The Web of Fear was practically the best new thing to come out of that release. Well, yes, indeed. Um, And um, this documentary also did help provide some new things more. I think that what helped um, shine a new light is more of Terry Nation sort of planning of how his own Dalek series yeah. because yeah he I mean I've heard about it but it seemed like he was determined to try and sell the Daleks to America to make it completely separate from Doctor Who which I honestly don't know how he would have accomplished that because it yes. sounds like such a weird bizarre idea I mean part of me would have liked to see what it might have been like out of morbid curiosity but I yeah. can't imagine it would have been as Good, but it seemed like he did try. He did do a pilot script, which surprised me. He got so far as to write a pilot script for it, and yeah, and, and yeah, he it got turned down. And he again, he tried to send it to the BBC, and they were just like, "No, we're not doing that." So, he, and, and it seems like he was just ready to give up, and was just like, "Well, in that case, I'm not. This will be the last of the Dalek stories, and there's going to be nothing else." But it seemed like he sort of changed his mind towards the end, which is probably why um, at the end of the story, one Dalek is just barely living. So Yeah, exactly. It was that, it was that fascinating anecdote where they said that they were talking to Timothy Coon, wasn't it, who was the guy brought in to direct the studio studio scenes and the Scarry stuff at the end of the story and how he got a phone call like, the day before they were going to blow up all the Daleks saying, no, don't blow them all up. Wait, Terry actually doesn't want to just you know run off with all the Daleks. And, you know, the fact that at the beginning of this story, it was he was Terry was gone. He was going to go and make a big TV show in America, and actually realised, oh wait, nobody wants that. Um, and so instead, he's going to have to come back to the BBC. And although he didn't until you know the mid seventies, um, it's it was just that fascinating thing of you know getting to the last minute before they're about to blow these all these up, and suddenly saying, oh wait, no, we shouldn't do that, um, which I thought was really interesting. And and also stuff I'd never knew or didn't know that much about to do with Shawcroft um, Shaw, Shawcroft models. It's Shawcroft models, isn't it? Um, and I didn't, I didn't realise that from this story onwards, they weren't doing the models bef- or the sort of the effects bef- um, for the stories anymore, having done pretty much all of it for the first uh, four years of, of the show. And so they wanted to basically do massive explosions to prove that they could do great stuff for, um, for Doctor Who uh, with the BBC visual effects team. So I, th- I thought that was just a, you know, a really interesting anecdote as well. Um, and it was nice to see them, you know, pushing Daleks around in, in the actual Victorian house that they filmed. And I thought that was a great addition to the documentary as well. Yeah, I definitely liked that. I mean, seeing those the proper Daleks that in the in that house as it is now, I and mean, it seeing those props, it just somehow it just brought back memories of um, the Peter Capaldi story, the Magician's Apprentice and the Witch's mm. Familiar, which is still one of my personal favourites of all yeah, time. Because, same here, and how it combines all the different models of Daleks throughout the ages. It just sort of brought back memories of that and we had Scar showed Scar properly in that Capaldi two parter. It's the same Scaro designs as the ones from the sixties, which which I definitely was very much appreciated. And um also um this is slightly off topic, but uh that audio drama, Big Finish audio drama I mentioned earlier, that brought back the Emperor in the, this Time War yes, audio. Yes. There's, there's even a little bit of a Dalek civil war at the end of that story where oh. Davros might have to get some Daleks on his side, so his Daleks are against the Emperor's Daleks. I just feel like oh. a nice little t- bit of evil, the Daleks little touch there. Ah, oh, brilliant. Yeah, that's a great way to do it. I love that. Yeah, that's a really good nod, actually, isn't it? Yeah, that's really good. Um, brilliant. Yeah, well, overall, that documentary, I thought, was, you know, a solid explanation of the story, of the making of the story, really. Um, I think it showed that in many ways, it was one of the more straightforward, sort of um, production-wise, of a, of a Doctor Who story. Like, there wasn't, you know, some big disaster. I'm sure there was this concerns about blowing up the Daleks at the end of the story. But apart from that, you know, they went there, they filmed it. It was intriguing, actually, that they actually filmed in the Victorian house. And, you know, a lot of that would usually be constructed as sets. But they decided, well, for a lot of that to actually use the house itself, which I just thought was quite, you know, a bit of a surprise. I didn't realise that about the story. So I thought that was quite an interesting point as well. Um, I like the fact that they used actual location um, footage, actual locations for the story, because I feel like... It's all good having like sets built, but sometimes I feel like actual locations lend a lot to the story, can help give that more sense of a realisticness to it. 
yeah totally i I always enjoy a story that's got that bit more location filming i think it can just give so much more interest in scale and just just engagement to the story really i think that sometimes it's so lacking in a slightly bland set in um television center that, that we often end up with some of the classic stories um and then the last thing i thought was really fun was fraser hines little anecdote about hiding in a dalek and then them rehashing that at the very end of the documentary as well i thought was you know sure it was a little bit cringily you know reenacted um but i still thought it was just a bit of fun you know to to to, to play into that little joke because it's a classic you can just imagine fraser doing that kind of thing as well it must have been great fun um and i just thought that was a really nice little moment to end the documentary on really as well um but yeah, so overall, that, that I think that that was kind of the main thing. There was also a 15-minute chat with um, the production designer, Chris Thompson, that uh, Phil Newman um, conducted. I think it was actually recorded in 2018. I'm not quite sure why they did it in 2018, but they did. Um, and it nicely fitted to go on this release. Um, and so that's, you know, another interesting aspect to it. And then apart from that, there's just the little um, feature showing um the sort of nine minutes or so of uh filming from the model the model sets that they did in the from the scar scenes at the end of the story which was on the lost in time box set way back when 17 years ago now it's bonkers to think about it like that um but that was i think i think about half of that release is now you know defunct as well from episodes returning and animated episodes and whatever i feel like a lot of it you don't really need anymore um and hopefully we'll continue to work our way through getting rid of lost in time because we won't need it um but that just about wraps up the actual release itself i think i I think overall it was a great a great release as we say the animation was brilliant a few extra great extra features in there as well um it brings us closer to having a complete season four as well um where you've only i think you've only got was it the highlanders and a couple of episodes of underwater menace i think that's that's pretty much it isn't it um so you never know maybe they'll do one of those at some point soon i mean i I personally wouldn't mind the underwater menace i know it's not a great story but I, i always remember it just being completely bizarre and wacky and ridiculous when i last watched it so i wouldn't mind an animated version of that i feel like it'd be a a bit of a laugh if nothing else um but of course the other the other big news not quite related to to blu-rays and things but we've got to talk about it is the return of rtd um announced a week or so ago now um so guys when you first heard the news um charlie you know were were you pretty pleased to hear that rtd was coming back to doctor who well, I first saw the news. Um, I actually looked on the chat that we have on Twitter and I saw your message. Ryan uh, saying, <laughs> I just heard the news that RTD is returning and I thought, no, it isn't. It's a joke. And I, I, I searched it up and I saw some news articles and I thought, yeah, but there's news articles claiming the different people of the doctor. I was so skeptical until I found the article on the BBC's website and I thought, yeah. oh my goodness, this is this is actually legit. This is happening. And for the first couple of days, it did it just did not seem real. Um because <laughs> obviously RTD is probably, you know, definitely my favorite New Who showrunner. The fact that he's returning, like even if it is just for one or two seasons, which it I don't know. It, it's really hard to gauge at this point how long he'll be on Doctor Who for yeah. again. But I'm I'm more excited for series 14 at this point than series 13. Yeah, I mean, I think the BBC aren't helping with their lack of promotion in getting excited for Series 13. But um, yeah, as you say, I think RTD's return is certainly something that, that many fans are very excited about. I'm guessing, Ryan, you shared that similar sense of excitement for, for the future of Doctor Who. And the, the, the shock, certainly I felt, complete shock when I first read the, the announcement. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was too good to be true. But then I just... I actually refreshed on that page. I'm just like, is this a fake article the BBC put on there by accident? Is this made up? But it's like, no, it's actually true. And I just couldn't be more happier. I mean, even though Stephen Moffat is still sort of my personal favourite show, and that's only because of both the 50th anniversary and, of course, the Peter Capaldi era, which is still my golden age of modern dot two. Um, Even though Moffat is probably still my favourite show because of that, RTD is a very close second. And so hearing this news that he's coming back for like another two, maybe even three years is just beyond exciting for me personally. And I like the fact that it's not just that it's Russell RTD coming back. It's the new and improved RTD who's done dramas like Very English Scandal, Years and Years, It's a Sin, uh, three phenomenal dramas which I've watched that all pretty much perfect across the board. It's a sin, especially, I think is definitely, without a doubt, Russell's masterpiece. Such a phenomenal drama and, um, and so award-winning. And just hearing the stories about how it was an absolute struggle for him to get that drama made and mm. selling it to a studio who just didn't want to 
take it on, which is just ludicrous of them, but mm. they managed to do it. It's so unbelievable. And I'm just so happy that he's now given another chance to do Doctor Who again. And hearing this news, as Charlie said, it's definitely got me more excited for his new era than I am about this last year of Jodie Whittaker because just seeing the... Uh, I mean, I've noticed this with each Chibble season. I feel like in terms of promotion and hype and marketing and all that, it's just diminished less and less with each season to the point where in this... For this last series, I feel like there's pretty much been little to no marketing for it, which apologies for putting my tinfoil hats on here, but it just feels like the BBC doesn't seem to have that much faith in Chibnall's run anymore, considering the reception the Timeless Children got. I mean, the Timeless Children, in terms of viewer ratings, in terms of viewers, it's the lowest out of all of modern Doctor Who, which is like, considering that was the finale... It's clear that he's something's wrong there, and so, uh, which might explain why there's been very little marketing for Chibnall's run. Which, and seeing it across social media, it's definitely seems like more people are exciting about what's coming in the future for RTD than they are than they are about what's happening in this final year for Chibnall and Whitaker. Yeah, exactly. I I think that I hope that. Jody kind of doesn't get forgotten over the next year because as much as sure we you know we don't maybe think that much of Chris Chibnall's writing at times um I think it'd be a shame if Jodie's kind of do- Jodie's doctor and her last adventures kind of get lost in the RTD hype because I'm still hopeful there will be some good stuff in there even you know I'm not saying it's going to be great Doctor Who it's not going to probably not going to be a match for RTD2 when we get it in 2023 onwards but I, I just hope that, that it, it doesn't lose everything um, and that the BBC actually just want to promote it because, you know, it's really not that difficult to, to put out a trailer and yet they don't want to do that or tell us when it's airing or anything. Um, and I think that's a real shame and just a real frustration. I feel really sorry for Jodie Whittaker, especially considering she was the first female doctor. I think she's the one I feel sorry for the most because I feel like she could have been an excellent doctor. If she had a RTD or a Moffat um, guiding her, I think she would have been one of the best doctors we could have ever gotten. And and I know people tend to criticise Jodie Whittaker, but she was never the problem with Chibnall's era. The problem with Chibnall's era was Chibnall. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And I think just some of the decisions he's made by making that first season as bland as it was. I mean, I think that was the problem because if you're going to restart Doctor Who, introduce it to a new audience, it seems baffling that would be the first season he would choose to do because I feel like most of the stories of that season could have been done as comic books or novels. And then, of course, we have the Timeless Children and the whole palaver, which I do not want to get into with that because I think I pretty much said all I have to say on that. I mean, again, to polish up, to bring out this old chestnut that from Jeff Goldblum did in Jurassic Park, he spent so much time preoccupied thinking whether or not he could, he didn't actually stop to think if he should. Well, indeed. Yes, it's very, very true. <laughs> exactly. And, and I feel like for me, I will always feel that, that Chris Jimmel's biggest mistake was Series 11. Like his approach and his, his you know, belief of what series 11 was supposed to be i just don't think was right for doctor who in 2018 as it was at the time and i think that's really one of the biggest things he did wrong sure his episodes haven't been great across the board but i just think the way he approached that that just fundamentally didn't work um but rtd is exciting we to stay positive we're looking forward to that part um where knowing exactly when he's going to be back on the program is a bit vague you know they said the 60th anniversary but they didn't say a 60th anniversary special they just said in 2023 so i mean my you know optimistic hopeful brain wants to believe there'll be a series in like spring 23 and then the the special just because i feel like it's quite difficult to do an anniversary special and introduce a new doctor in that anniversary special because that's probably what they're going to have to do if they don't do any series or anything else before that um because obviously jody's regenerating in this time next year in the centenary special i think i'm i'm willing to guess what the plan is they're going to have it be a full series and the finale will be the 60th anniversary Mm. i'm willing to take a bet that the finale of that season is going to be the 60th anniversary and i'm hoping and this is slightly off topic. I really hope that 
for RTD's new era of Doctor Who, I really hope he has a female Doctor, because if any female Doctor can work, it's definitely under RTD. Yeah, exactly. I'd almost, I'd almost say even more than Stephen Moffat, it's going to work with Russell writing it, I feel like. And, you know, it's kind of shown with about half the cast of It's a Sin being, you know, rumoured to be the next Doctor, I feel like. You know, every other day I see one of them being, oh, could it be them? I know it's mainly because they've worked with Russell before, obviously, on that and some other programmes as well, um, like Years and Years and the likes. Um, But, yeah, as you say, I feel like he could just really do that, the a female Doctor, the justice that it needs. Um, And and as I think we've said before, it would just be such a, I think, a bad look for the show if they do go back to a male Doctor after just one female doctor um but you know i'm i i have faith in russell getting no matter what he does getting it right which i think is the the key thing here that we can be optimistic about yeah i think i've heard rumors that again take this with a pinch of salt that lydia west who was um, in years and years and it's a sin she's could be a likely candidate for the next doctor and even um the writer of fires of pompeii um i Got his name, um, James. Is it Moran? Uh, Murray? Yeah, Something like I think that. It's Moran. He he said he's willing to put money on Lydia West being the next Doctor. <laughs> which I'm really hoping so because having watched her in years and years and into Sid, and she was also in Moffat's Dracula as well. Oh yeah, um, she was. Yeah. Uh, I think she would be a good bet for her being the Doctor. I think she would fit the part perfectly, and she was even in a big Finnish audio drama as well. So. She definitely has a bit of history, Doctor. Yeah, she's she's got all the connections she needs, doesn't she? Um, but yeah, Charlie, are you are you overall? Do you have any excitement for Series Thirteen, or is it all very much looking towards RTD's era now? I feel it. The general sort of pattern with um, like Chibnall's era. I preferred Series Eleven to Series Twelve to Series Eleven quite a lot. I, I feel um, Series Eleven was. It, it wasn't the right way to start the era because it didn't feel like Doctor Who, I think. it, And um, every episode felt like filler as well. It didn't really feel like it was going anywhere. Um, series 12 was the exact opposite. We had the timeless children and all that. But I do think, you know, on average, the episodes were better. And I'm hoping that with this sort of series arc format that they're doing, um, it will be a better season than Series 12. But the entire time I'm watching Series 13, I'll be thinking of what Series 14 will be like. Well, exactly. Um, and with series thirteen, I wonder who is who is Christian going to kill off in the first episode, and then spend five episodes trying to figure out who it is. Ala Broadchurch. Um, no, maybe not. Um, and I, I also think that the only negative of RTD returning is that we're not going to get that collection release of series one anytime soon, where Russell spills the beans on the mess that was the production of series one. Because I can't imagine he's going to come out and tell us all about that while he's the while he's the showrunner once again. So we might have to wait a few more years to get a um a good candid series one collection box set where they actually explain what happened that was the mess of series one production yeah i think that's gonna be i think that's gonna be years maybe even decades until a collection on series one get released considering the stories behind it as as well as some of the stuff that's come about certain actors involved during that time well indeed yes it's gonna be a whole other different can of worms which which makes me wonder if they'll ever really do a collection on series one off they'll just leave it all together yeah it's 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 tricky isn't it it's obviously with you know the stuff's happened with noel and the likes it's a more problematic series and period of doctor who to probably tackle than it was even three or four years ago um and you know i'm hopeful that they will give the new series the collection treatment at some point i know chris chapman wants to do it like you i saw him saying the other day how um he'd put you know he wouldn't they wouldn't try and do making a documentary for every episode but they'd go and do like a three-hour documentary on the whole of series one production which i thought would be absolutely fascinating um but i can't imagine at least them waiting until the they'll at least wait till the end of the you know classic who collection range which realistically is going to be seven six seven years from now um and even then i don't know whether we'll get it or not but it, it's something we can hope for in the future um but somehow i think that rtd's return the only negative of rtd's return is we might be slightly further away from something like that than um, we maybe would have liked 
Uh, but yeah, that's the exciting news in the Doctor Worlds this week. Of course, there's not really been any updates on animations or releases or collection box sets or whatever. We're still sitting and waiting for season 17 to be announced because it's going to be because they always leak before they announced and this one already has. Um, and we know Galaxy 4 is coming. Bond Wars Snowman is probably coming. Uh, the season 23 box set, I believe, is getting re-released. I think it might be t- well, today, actually, I think as you listen to it, there's going to be a re- the re-release of season 23, I'm pretty sure. I pretty should have checked that, shouldn't I? I'll, I'll, I'll look it up um, while we while we discuss stuff. Um, and I think at some point soon we're also going to do a um, podcast discussing season 23 because there's some great great content in there. Um, I mean, it's, it, I think it's a great season of Doctor Who, controversial opinion. Um and I also think that it's got some great special features on there, like the Doctor Who cookbook and the likes. There's some great stuff on there. So um, I can tell, Ryan, you want to say something about season 23. Go for it. Um, with the whole trial of a time, Lord. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> I did a rewatch of that recently because I wanted to, because it's a season that never worked for me. I, I rewatched it again recently and... I really went in with an open mind. I thought, I really want to get the most out of Trial of a Time Lord. I really did. And for some reason, I just don't really connect with it. Um, I just found it frustrating, a bit very repetitive, a bit boring, kind of lacklustre, some of the reveals. I mean, I don't... I like the idea of this dark evil duplicate of the doctor the valiant which is basically an idea that they would repeat again in amy's choice um, indeed the I, dream lord yes yeah i really like that idea that, that this was basically the introduction of that um i just wish the scenario was done much better than having to revolve around this trial because it's like of all the ways you could try and entrap the doctor to eliminate him, to make sure you're free of his positive influence and steal all of his remaining regenerations. There could have been much better ways to go around it than just do this whole convoluted thing with a trial, which was done before and done much better in Troughton's last story, The War Games. <laughs> and I just feel like... Uh, I just It just felt like a very frustrating season for me. I don't know if that's my least favourite season. It's either that or... Season 22, Colin's first season, either one of the two. Yeah, well, well, we're, we're going to... I have had a check and the, the re-release is today, um, if you're listening to this on release date. Um, and in the next podcast, we will be chatting all about season 23 in the box set. So, Ryan, make sure you get some more thoughts ready. Um, and we'll have to watch some of the band for that and um, have a little chat about it, see if we can uh, reach reach a point of agreement on the quality of season 23, because I, I don't think it's that bad. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we will go more in depth next time on that one um that'll be good fun as well and so yeah that's that's pretty much all the releases coming um in the near future of course we we teased it earlier one thing we have to talk about and i feel like this should become a regular theme really should just be like let's talk about a slightly terrible episode of doctor who every time round. um and this time of course charlie you had the great pleasure of experiencing time lash for the very first time um do you want to share your your initial thoughts on on first viewing of what i believe is generally ranked near enough the worst doctor who story of all time um I'm guessing as it was 110 up 110, it's pretty much there for you as well. Mm. Well, um, yeah, I, I had another check. It was um, around 110. It's 109 stories I've okay. watched. Okay. This is either 109th or possibly 108th above time in the Rani. Um, okay. There, <laughs> there really isn't much going for it. It's just, yeah. it's just so stupid and ridiculous. It's like they thought of a load of stupid ideas, scrapped them all, and then put them into an episode it's like it yeah. feels like a culmination of all the scrapped bad awful ideas from every other story put into one and it just doesn't work there's the there's the weird sock puppet snakes um, <laughs> yeah i know yeah i mean that there are people who say um the villain the borad looks um quite good and for its time it does but i, I do think it comes off as very cheesy and not at all enjoyable it's just that there's nothing there and it and sometimes you'll have like an action sequence and then afterwards it will really awkwardly cut to the doctor and perry and the tardis squabbling over something you just have these really random scenes of them in the tardis that are just so unnecessary this this yeah. could have been like you know just one 45 minute episode and it still would have felt dragged it's just it's so much ridiculous padding in it it just it's just not enjoyable um but I watched Revelation of the Daleks afterwards. That was a ah. bit more positive. 
yes that's, that's, that's the way wrong. forward yeah that's the mm. best well i think that's the best 80s dalek story controversial um but yeah time lash them i haven't watched it for a few years but my kind of vivid memory of that story is just how visually bland it is like mm. everything is just beige and gray and and dull looking like this as you say the plot is ridiculous and dull and just just terrible but it's not even like supported by some interesting visuals like they're not there at all either there's there's nothing there's just nothing going for it at all i think the only thing i remember liking about it was the spoiler alert twist at the end about hg wells that's about the only interesting thing and that's that wasn't too bad but apart from that i i, I struggle to find any redeeming factors from from time lash i don't know brian yeah, I think I rewatched this like a cut two or three months ago. And yeah, from what I remember, it was just absolutely atrocious. But then again, they brought in the writer, Glenn McCoy, who didn't, who was new, unexperienced, and didn't really know how to write for Doctor Who. And just, and I think that just pretty much sums it up the fact that they brought in these writers who, at that point, just didn't understand the show or didn't know how the formula of it really works. And it just goes to show how much trouble they went through during that period. It just reflects in this production. I mean, there's a reason why it's nicknamed Tinsel Lash, because when you do see the Time Lash itself, it well, it just looks, looks like a crystal climbing frame with tinsel stuck on the end of it, and that's meant yeah. to be the Time Vortex, and it just... I just couldn't... Whenever it had that sequence at the beginning of I don't know if it was the beginning or middle of part two, but every time it just cuts to those scenes in the time, I just, I just completely lose it. <laughs> just, and this whole twist about with the Borad and the guy that for some reason has half a face like a hippopotamus. And then yeah, um, for some, for some reason. reason, yeah, there's a, cl- he dies <laughs> and there's a clone of him at the end for no reason. Like but somehow he made a double. It's just like, what? And it's, yeah, I mean, I think in Doctor Magazine's 50th anniversary poll of ranking all the stories from um, the very beginning to Matt Smith's last one, I think this was voted the third or fourth, I mean, I'm pretty sure someone will correct me if, if I'm wrong, um, the third or fourth least favourite story of the entire run, with it beaten probably by, I'm guessing, Time and the Rani, Fear Her, and twin dilemma which is well i mean definitely good choices i mean i wouldn't don't know if time lash would be my least favorite i mean least favorite is still warriors of the deep hands down with the two boxes <laughs> maybe a close second and then but i think this might be a good solid third or fourth least favorite on my list yeah it's 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 really is some of the worst stuff i've got to unfortunately it was just in that yeah that season 22 that is just lacking um a lot throughout the season frankly apart from as as you mentioned well i guess vengeance of Varus is also quite good but revelation of the daleks is much more of an enjoyable story um it's it's, it's full of well charlie i'm sure you can tell me more you've seen it much more recent than me but full of interesting ideas does something actually mm. fun with interesting with the daleks like we talked about the importance of actually having an interesting new idea for the daleks and bringing davros in is always a great idea as well i don't know charlie what what was your perspective on revelation um, it was it was a nice change in pace from Time Lash. It does feel quite different. Um, it it did feel a little bit dragged out and a bit bland in places. But um, and what you were saying about um, the best eighties Dalek story, I I absolutely disagree. If I'm being honest, I I think it's the worst eighties Dalek story. But if you look at its competition, you know, it, it's probably very very close behind uh, Resurrection, but both are miles behind you know Remembrance. No, fair enough. Fair. Enough. I, I, I do like Remembrance, but I don't know. I don't. I don't like it as much as everybody else does. I think. And Resurrection, I've never thought. Sure, it's a flashy Dalek story with lots of deaths and shooting, but I don't feel like it's that great a story outside of that. But that's that's just my perspective. And um, plus, I do yeah. quite like Colin as the Doctor, um, which I think does yeah. help when a lot of people you know, really don't like Colin. Yeah, I mean, funny enough, with Revelation, I think in terms of the three eighties Dalek stories, I think this is a solid second place for me i think remembrance is number one and this is slight close record and i tend to agree with you elliot that the resurrection of the daleks i'm not a huge fan of again i rewatched that i think like a couple of a year or so ago and i just remember it being just 
just kind of a bit bored. I thought it was okay at best. I mean, I thought Terry Malloy was great as Dan Frost. I, I mm. like Tegan begs it, but apart from that, I, I just I didn't find it to be that memorable when compared to the other 80s Dalek stories. And funny yeah. enough, Revelation was actually one of the very first Doc 2s I've ever watched. After I watched my very first ones, which were Ark in Space and Genesis, Revelations was one of the next few I actually watched shortly afterwards. And just seeing mm. Revelation was just... It was just like, wow, this is some of the darkest stuff ever in Doctor Who. Yeah. I mean, the other one that pretty much rivals this is Dark Water Death in Heaven in terms of mm. how dark it is. And just seeing the shot of Stengoss's head inside a transparent Dalek casing, I think is the most horrifying image in the Doctor Who story ever. I don't think it, nothing's ever dared to surpass that. And I'm surprised that, that it got away on TV at five o'clock because apparently it was shown at five o'clock at tea time. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah. surprise, they managed to get away with it. Yeah. And watching Revelation, I thought, wow, if it's the rest of Collins' run is going to be this good, I'm going to be in for a treat. No, no, it's a shame that the rest of Collins' run wasn't as, as great as I was hoping it would be after watching Revelation. <laughs> Well, indeed, yeah. yes. Yeah. Sorry, go for it, Charlie. We, uh, we do have the um, hand-crushing scene as well in Attack of the Cybermen. That's very uh, true. Yeah, yeah, there is that. Um, yes, there are some... The yeah. scene in Vengeance of Varos. Very true, yeah. That, that, it's surprising that that era does go quite dark, when you kind of forget some of the darker moments of that, that season in particular. I think season 23, not so much, but... Yeah, you're surprised Mary Whitehouse didn't come calling um, more around that time in the show. She did it in the 70s, but she clearly got bored of Doctor Who by the 80s in terms of complaining about it so much. It must have been. I don't know, maybe that's what most people did by 1985. I don't know. Was that a bit of a controversial opinion? Um, but yeah, and I'm in, I'll be interested to see when we come around to a season 22 box set, collection box set at some point, how do they tackle Time Lash? I'm pretty sure there's a making of on the DVD. But you know, yeah, do they feel like, the no. do they feel the need to add any more you know meat to the bone of of slating it? I feel like they'll just kind of quietly yeah. give it a new sound, give it a five point one soundtrack, and let's move on. I imagine will yeah. be the 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 run for time lash. Yeah, despite it having only one documentary, it's pretty comprehensive. Yes, <laughs> but, I do remember it being. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think there's any more they can have with that story. <laughs> Yeah, I, th yeah, I think, I think, I think. Um, with the trailers for them, I feel that usually they go for one of the best received in terms of these like quite creative trailers, really. Like we got, you know, the sixth Doctor is on trial again, um, the Home Assistance of Death for series 14. We've got Terror yeah. of the Autons for season eight, even though, you know, maybe the Demons is better, but we always they always go with a very well received one. So I feel that they may do something similar to Vengeance on Baros for the trailer mm -hmm. for the season 22 box set. Yeah, that's a good show, actually. Get Sill on there or something like that. I don't know. Do mm. something with him, and I feel like that could that could work quite effectively. Um, and I feel, I'm sure they could get Nabil back to come and, you know, do him again or something. I feel like that would be quite fun. Um, but, yeah, that pretty – I think, you know, we'll leave the, the slating of Time Lash there, um, and we'll pretty much wrap this podcast up now. Um, so, as I say, we'll be discussing Season 23, so get ready for a, a little bit of a war of words about whether we like Season 23 or not on the next podcast. Um, or maybe we'll just focus on the document. Yeah, we'll, maybe, who knows? Maybe the fourth or fifth time watching it, maybe I'll start to like it. Hopefully, fingers crossed. I'm hoping so. Yeah, so well, join us in two weeks to find out if Ryan starts liking season 23 or not. Um, and yeah, we'll chat all about that on the next podcast. And of course, if there's any announcements of box sets or animations or anything new, you'll also be the first to hear about it here on the podcast as well. But apart from that, thank you to Charlie and to Ryan. Um, as always, please to um, give us a follow on Spotify or review us on Apple Podcasts. Just keep across them on there. Or if you're watching on YouTube as well, give us a like, a subscribe on my channel and a comment. Um, and you can always get um, a hold of us on Twitter at Pod as well for the latest news on the podcast. But apart from that, I hope you've enjoyed this one and we'll see you again soon for a brand new podcast.